0: it's easy to think about capacity when we're looking at something physical like cups or Tupperware or something because it's something you can hold in your hand when we're talking about our emotional capacity you can't hold that so I think sometimes it feels like a, a fluid concept something you can't fully grasp what I would offer when we're thinking about capacity is choice in your emotions and recognition of your emotions and validation of your experience choice recognition validation
1: Hello, hello, everyone. This is Sasha, your host of the BBXX podcast. So I wanted to introduce a bit of a new series of interviews we're doing. While the coronavirus pandemic has presented us with an infinite number of obstacles, it's also presented us with an opportunity. And while we can't go outside... We are being invited to look inwards instead, to connect, to reflect, to learn more about ourselves and to recognize how much our relationships matter more than anything else. And I think that is probably one of the most beneficial lessons that we can learn from all of this. And so as we're faced with this obstacle and this opportunity, we've decided to launch a series of Instagram live interviews to help us stay connected to you, connected while we're at home, and while we're all having this fascinating global shared experience. We're launching this series first, but we're also planning some other exciting content releases from short format audio to more casual discussions as well as some IGTV videos so be sure to tune in on your preferred platform or how about just all of them so stay tuned for announcements on the BBXX podcast and stay tuned on our instagram at bbxx.world and if you don't already be sure to subscribe to our newsletter where every week we send out tons of amazing content recommendations, the show notes for all of our interviews, a Q&A article, and lots more. This week, to kick things off for our IG Live interview series, we are bringing you a guest interview from Amanda Huggins, an anxiety coach, and Holisticism, an online wellness platform, To help you find some calm amidst the storm and to help you prepare for the rest of the content as we ramp our content up for the fun, exciting and incredibly rewarding work of improving yourself and your relationships and taking full advantage of this very unique opportunity. Because if not now, when? Maybe later or maybe never? Hi,
2: if you're new to Holisticism and to these virtual events, welcome. I'm Michelle. I'm the founder of Holisticism and I'm super happy that you're here for the next six weeks. We're hosting free virtual well-being and wellness workshops. And then a couple of intuitive entrepreneurship workshops hosted by me during this sort of self quarantine period as a way to support and bolster you and provide you some resources and tools that hopefully are useful and that you can put in your own toolkit as we navigate this super weird time that has become the new normal because we're not really gonna go back to like normal normal. This, it's life moving forward after that. So I'm really excited uh, that Amanda is here today to offer us this class and her brain because she's brilliant. Amanda, please, it's all you. Wonderful. At first, I just wanna
0: get started with a, I'll keep it quick, but a big thank you to Michelle. I just think it's really important, and I know I can just tell by the faces or the names and faces behind them, I assume, that I'm looking at right now, we're all feeling this larger call for community, and to Michelle's point, there are going to be calls basically every single day within the holisticism community, but also I encourage you before we even get started here to just think about how you can connect with your own community too. I'm going to be talking a little bit about joy as it plugs into anxiety and joy as it plugs into this shelter-in-place phenomenon that we're all a part of right now. But I did just want to leave with that, a little bit of gratitude for all of these connective um, courses that are available to us, and then a lot of gratitude for you guys for tuning in today. Just a very brief background so you know it's not a complete crazy person talking to you. I am crazy, but I think the good kind I'm a professional anxiety coach, retired yoga teacher, part-time meditation teacher. So I live and breathe, I don't want to say anxiety because that would be troubling, but I live and breathe the processing of anxiety and what's on the other end of that. If you have tapped in at all to some of my work, I sometimes call it the blend of scientific, spiritual, and tactical, meaning very much like the general audience of holisticism, I love the woo, I get down with the woo, I live and breathe spirituality and all of that stuff, but I'm also a Virgo and I'm OCD and I like to have information and data. And so I bring a little bit of both categories together and then my goal is to give you guys, in whatever context I'm working with someone, actionable material and also, my hope is some level of internal calm. And the truth is that I can't actually give you an internal state of peace. Your boyfriend can't give it to you, your mom and dad can't give it to you, your girlfriend can't give it to you. It comes from the inside. So we're gonna talk about how to cultivate that first. And I'm not gonna do a slideshow. I encourage you to take notes if you're comfortable with that. I'm more of an audio listener, so totally cool if you throw away the, note, the notepad. So let's get started. I wanna talk about Anxiety Management 101, separate from anything else that's going on right now, because, What's super fascinating about the coronavirus is, while a lot is changing externally, not a ton, for those who are healthy, not a ton has actually changed internally. Right? we're the same people. It's just that our external environment has started to evoke a new sense of panic or a new sense of fear. And I say new, but for most of us, it's an automatic response that's been built up throughout the course of our lives. It's just being illuminated in eh, on a new platform, okay? so. I say I'm an anxiety coach because anxiety is an umbrella, right? So if someone says, Hey, man, I have anxiety. Not that it means nothing to me because it of course means a lot, but that doesn't actually tell me much because anxiety is a really broad and honestly, very physical definition. Right? When I hear anxiety, I think physical first and I'll explain that because we're in interesting times where anxiety as a concept has been sort of colloquialized. You have um, like quirky, anxious characters on your favorite Netflix show and there's all these funny memes about anxiety and everyone's depressed and it's okay that we're in bed all day. And they're funny, right? We share them, we're like, haha, that's so me. And I'm not saying, you know, stop looking at your memes. I think they're hilarious. But it starts to normalize the feelings of anxiety and I think that it prevents us from looking a little bit deeper. Because what is underneath anxiety? That's just the physical symptom. What's underneath it is fear, worry, self-doubt, judgment, shame, guilt, sadness, grief, any of the other heavier sets of emotions that we might experience. So this is why I say when someone says, hey, Amanda, I have anxiety, I'm like, okay, what are you actually feeling? And that's where we're gonna start, okay? So I I draw little graphs sometimes. If you are taking notes, and if you're not, I'll send out a slide with my follow-up email. The way the anxiety, what I call a spin cycle, works is this. So we have a trigger. Everyone knows what a trigger is. We already know what our triggers are. What happens is when we are consuming or are on the receiving end of a trigger, okay, we read something, someone says something to us, whatever, it feels like all of a sudden we've dropped into a state of reactivity. I'm triggered. This is where I've arrived. Now I react from this place, right? It happens really quickly. That's why we stay anxious. But what actually happens physiologically and then energetically is quite different, it's not instantaneous. So I want to break that down. We have this trigger. Let's use a general but somewhat pertinent example. You see a news article that you don't really like. So you're reading something. Your mind interprets that as a thought. We all have thoughts all the time. But a thought is neither good or bad. A thought is just a plain thought. It's blank. Okay, but our body starts to react based on the meaning that we've assigned to that thought. So I read a news article, that's bad. Now my body starts to create a physical sensation how many of you guys have experienced that, right? You feel anxiety uh, either in your chest or in your gut. I always joke there was a client, she's giving me full permission. I'm not saying her name, but the first time I asked her, well, where do you feel anxiety in your body? She goes, I don't feel it anywhere. I was like, okay, great. I want you to monitor how often you get triggered over the next couple of days. And she texted me the next day and was like, oh my God, I feel it everywhere. I'm anxious all the time in all parts of my body, right? And I always use her as an example because It's really fascinating to start to pay attention to where in our body we experience anxiety. Some of us are walking around hyper-triggered all the time, which is why, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat, we might snap or we might cry, both of which are excellent emotional responses, but when it's happening at a high frequency, it means that something is pent up in our system. Understanding that anxiety creates a physical sensation first. Now, what happens to the heart? When we're triggered, the heart rate speeds up. Hey, I don't know if you guys knew this. I had to learn this as a part of my work. The heart sends more signals to the brain than the brain does to the heart. Apparently, this is science 101. I never paid attention as a kid. So when I relearned this, it was mind-blowing because it started to make everything else make sense. Our heart sends electromagnetic signals to our mind when something is wrong based on the rapidity of our heartbeat, meaning when we're triggered and our heart speeds up, it sends a, a message to the brain, something is wrong. Let's look for something to attach to I'm not gonna spend too much time going into the psychology of why the human mind likes to attach to the negative. What I will say is that that is a pattern. It's, you can look at it as like animal instinct. So if you're like, why do I always go to the negative all the time? It's not just you, it's us. It's a survival technique, negativity bias, evolution. Thank you, Michelle. So if our mind is going to attach to something negative and then we create an emotion out of it and we live in that emotion, it basically closes. It shuts us down to the ability to start to shift our thoughts because our mind is already attached to the thought we want to believe. I read this thing. This is bad. Now I'm in this emotional state. And then guess what happens? We start to live from that state. So uh, an example of that would be I read this news article. I'm super triggered. feel it in my body and my gut. I feel my energy being drained. I give into that state. And then when I interact with friends or I interact with family, I'm now energetically lower, I'm triggered. I might be shooting things out of my mouth to them that then trigger me back. And so it becomes this energetic volley of anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, whatever the energetic is that comes up. This is where we get into body awareness. And if you have your uh, pen and paper right now, it might be helpful to just take a moment to pause and reflect on if I think about anxiety in general and or specific to all of the coronavirus news right now, where do I feel it most in my body? And That's going to be different for everyone. Right? For me, news, news, anxiety, political stuff, always in my chest. Relationship stuff, always in my gut. Family stuff, gut and chest. I want you guys to think about this, not just in this moment, but to continue to pay attention to this. Whether you are engaging with friends or a partner, or maybe you're by yourself, noticing when physically sensations start to come up. Because that spin cycle that we talked about of thought, feeling, emotion, reaction, then we're just triggering ourselves over and over again, we can start to cut in on that. The way that we begin to cut in on that spin cycle of anxiety, being mindful of it with our breath the more mindful we become of when we are physically experiencing anxiety, the more frequently we can start to check in on the physical sensation and send breath to that place. Yes, this is because breath feels good, but more so because when we send breath consciously to specific parts of our body, and obviously the air can't go there, right? But we are energetically drawing the air to specific places. We're channeling our own energetic frequency and We are getting the physiological benefit of taking deep breaths and there's probably yoga teachers in this room right or someone who's trained in anything physical we know about the vagus nerve vagus nerve is tiny little nerve next to the heart and v-a-g-u-s so the vagus nerve squirts out this tranquilizing substance called vagus off onto the heart okay and so what happens is it asks the heart to slow down when the heart slows down it sends less freak-out messages to the brain, which means that our mind has a little bit more space to come back to truth, okay? So that's the second step of this physical monitoring of anxiety. We understand where it's coming up in our bodies. We do our best to redirect breath towards that place to slow our heart rate down so that we can come back to truth. Now, the difference between truth and story, we probably all know that this we're smart ladies I don't know if there's any men but if there are ladies gentlemen humans in here a truth is fact right it just is what it is there's no story no charge no emotion attached to it while a story is absolutely everything else that we wrap up into that moment okay so a story is charged with thought it's loaded with energy and an example of that specific to coronavirus would be this The truth is we are quarantined for, depending on your city, but we are quarantined for the next two weeks, right? That's the truth, period. The story that I think is very easy to start to add to this is, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. Oh my God, I'm going to run out of money. Oh my God, uh, what if the clients don't come in? What if um, I go crazy from being inside, right? All of the stories that we start to add to it, and then that's what we start to energetically attach to. And you see how that can become really damaging, especially when we're being inundated with news because we're attaching to the future negative potential, right? This is called future tripping, where we start to look forward at what might happen in a predictive manner. But again, this is part of our human programming. We tend to look forward at the negative. I always say in yoga classes when I used to teach is, If you're going to let your mind daydream while you're in Shavasana, at least let your mind daydream to something good. And I'm going to say the same thing here, but even say that with a grain of salt. Unless we're dropping like deep into manifestation, which I don't want to talk about for this session, going too far into the future still takes you out of the present, right? So it takes you out of action. And and when I say action, I'll talk about that. It doesn't have to be like we're doing all the time, but action as to what do I need to do to nurture myself in this moment? So it's our work to come back to truth over and over and over again. Now, there's interesting framing, though, in how we look at truth. I'll give you a non-coronavirus example. Let's say someone is in a really shitty job and they hate what they're doing. Uh, They feel like they can't quit. So their story might be, I'm stuck in this job. There's no opportunities. I'm going to be stuck here forever. Life sucks. The truth, one option for truth could be, okay, I'm not stuck in this job forever. This doesn't suck. But here's the thing. That doesn't feel like a connective truth, right? That's just kind of flipping what you the story and trying to make it positive. It's like square peg round hole. Like, there's no connectivity there. So when we're starting to reframe a truth, we're choosing something that is is not, not a lie, right? We're not lying to ourselves, but it's positive and action oriented. So using this work example, it's I choose to understand that I am not stuck. I commit to finding a way out of this. So there's two elements there. You're consciously acknowledging your choice in the situation, your choice, what are you choosing, the truth, and then adding, if you'd like, a little bit of action. So if we're bringing this back to the context of the coronavirus and we're starting to get really wrapped up in our stories, Come back to the truth, right? So what is it? We're quarantined here. But there's more truth that you, you could add. I'm quarantined in a, in a home that is fully stocked on goods. I'm quarantined and healthy. I am quarantined and now have all of this time that I've never had before. And how exciting is that? So we are going to the positive, but we're not lying to ourselves.
2: I have a question for you. Please. Can we just like jam on for a second? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this the yeah. idea that it can be shitty and also be great at the same time that like a hundred percent. this is objectively like this can objectively suck. Also there are people that are like that are losing their jobs and that's scary and horrible. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. this is a massive opportunity and how can we live with both or like a, a big break that maybe we all need and the earth needed? And how can we like live in between those two things and also have anxiety but be grateful at the same time? I think yeah. that's really confusing and everyone I have talked to is kind of like waffling between those two places.
0: So yes. And I'm going to
2: use a visual. I This has been coming up.
0: That's a great question, Michelle. So thank you for asking. And this has been coming up even in non-coronavirus conversations I've been having lately. And I think the, I don't want to say the answer to that question, but the, the framing that I would offer for that question is that it, it becomes a matter of choosing to expand our capacity. Okay, so I don't know if this visual is gonna make sense because I've been working through this in my head for the past couple of days. Um, So we'll test it out with you guys live. So let's say this is our um, anxiety, fear, worry, self-doubt, judgment. Anything else that's coming up right now. And it feels like this is all we're living in, but this is a really fucking small bowl, right? I was mixing a weird coffee that I found on TikTok in this this morning, okay? It's not a big bowl. This bowl isn't enough to hold all of us, right? And it silos you to just this size of the human experience, which is the heavier sets of emotions. We don't want to throw this bowl away, though. We need this. That's damaging. So what do we do? We get a bigger bowl. Because this one has capacity for you to hold some of the negative, but then there's so much more space to also hold what is going right. Okay, And I know capacity can be like, I think it's easy to think about capacity when we're looking at something physical like cups or Tupperware or something because it's something you can hold in your hand. When we're talking about our emotional capacity, you can't hold that. So I think sometimes it's, it feels like a, a fluid concept, something you can't fully grasp. What I would offer when we're thinking about capacity is choice in your emotions and recognition of your emotions and validation of your experience, choice, recognition, validation. So to Michelle's point, absolutely, we need to validate this fucking sucks. It does. And you can acknowledge that it sucks and not stay in that feeling. And that's the energy, that's the capacity that comes from within. The best way I can probably put this into an example, and by the way, I didn't make this disclaimer in the beginning. If I ever talk about myself, I'm using it as an example, not to be like, <laughs> look at me. It's just so that I don't out too many of my clients. So I'll, I'll give that in a personal example for a second is I was in a fucked up place two weeks ago. Michelle and I were talking about it. We kind of both quarantined almost three weeks ago at this point. First two or three days really hit me hard, starting to settle with, okay, our reality is changing. And so if you were to ask me, Amanda, what's going on? How are you doing? I would have been like, life sucks. Everything sucks. I'm tired. The world is ending. Whereas at this point, I've validated that experience, sat with it, let myself cry, let myself be angry for a couple of days. Where now if you ask me, Amanda, how are you doing? Yeah, this sucks, but we're going to be okay. And that's an authentic response that I couldn't access a couple of weeks ago. The reason I can access it now is because I allowed myself so deeply to feel the fear, worry, anxiety. So if we're plugging this into the context of what I just began with, right? Understanding where you feel it in the body. I felt that shit for a couple days longer than I wanted to acknowledge. I was walking around like, no, everything's fine. I'm great. Knew I was lying to myself. And you can't do that for too long when you're a coach. So I... A fun little tip, sometimes when I know I need to cry, but it's just not coming up, I'll watch something that makes me really sad just to, like, trigger it. I think that's a really healthy uh, mechanism sometimes. So I watched something, made me cry, and then within two seconds, I was, like, getting into the depths of my sadness, my fear, my anger. I fucking cried for two and a half hours, and then I cried some more. But guess what? The next day, authentically, I was like, okay. I went to the depth of it. I got what I needed for right now. Meaning I don't need to get in that like self-victimy thing anymore. I feel good. I know what I want to do to nurture myself and to take care of the people around me. And then you take action from there. Caveat. So I'm in action mode right now where I'm feeling good and whatever. I'm holding some space. I'm sure there's going to be another mini breakdown. And that's okay. Right? I think I think it would be insane to expect all of us to be totally even keeled and have no anxiety. If you ever meet someone like that, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to lightly suggest don't trust them. Right? (laughs) We're meant to have heavier emotions because it creates a contrast and it gives us information to work with. Okay, I could go on for like hours about that, so I'm going to shut up so I can get to some of the other stuff. Next thing I wanted to cover really lightly: boundaries to manage your anxiety. That unintentionally created kind of a nice segue because we want to give ourselves space to feel and we need to make sure that, that that it's a protected space, okay? So often, again, coronavirus aside, a lot of people that I work with struggle in one area or another with boundaries. Most of the time it's boundaries with self, less about boundaries with others. But that was an excellent time for us to all tap into the different facets of boundary creation. Okay, so it's an adjustment, and there's a lot of boundaries to be made within just being, you know, housed in your own place. That's now everything. So eat, sleep, work. I don't know. One of the boundaries that I've created is what I like to call the new rule of three. So, what this is, is I suggest taking three chunks of time per day. If that, if you want to say three hours per day, great, but it could also be three 20-minute chunks. I don't care what it looks like. You know your schedule better than I do. And these chunks are separate from work. And I, I cannot stress that enough because I think when we start to transition into working from home, it can create a lot of unnecessary anxiety around, am I working enough? Am I going to lose my job? Am I working too much because I'm at home? We get into this weird territory when we're not in the same environment that we are used to. So we need to, and I was talking about this in my stories briefly earlier, is we sort of need to take responsibility for ourselves to create hedonistic hits and creativity hits. Okay, hedonistic meaning fun for the sake of it. We're not trying to be productive, although productivity is one of the chunks. Okay, so let me break those chunks down. One is a little chunk for productivity, but I don't want it to be work-related Okay, productivity meaning, shoot, I really have been meaning to Marie Kondo in my closet or I should probably like launder those bedsheets that probably I've been sleeping in for too long, whatever it is. I wanna be really clear that when I say productivity, it is not because my goal is for you to feel some sort of productivity hit. That can be an addictive pattern, especially for someone with anxiety is to attach to the to-do list, to feel like, yes, I'm getting stuff done. My hope for the productivity chunk Is more that it's supportive of you feeling like a person still. I think without social interaction and our normal routines, it can start to feel like, "Uh, I don't feel like myself or I don't feel like a person anymore. We can even change that word. It's person time. What's going to make you feel like a real person today? Next chunk, hedonism. So hedonism meaning fun for the sake of fun, we're not trying to get anything out of it, we're not trying to do anything to impress anyone except to be with ourselves. My example, which I was just practicing earlier, and I'm not ashamed to say this, maybe a little bit but I'm working through it, I have been singing and blasting show tunes. Kind of embarrassing, kind of love it, but it's literally so fun. I'm by myself, right? So I, you got to learn to entertain yourself. So we're talking about hedonistic hit. I want you to think about. What's something fun or something that I love that I haven't really done? How can I make myself laugh? How can I get really weird? And by the way, these rule, this rule of three, it's every day. We're doing this every day. So again, decide on your chunks and the times of them. Okay. And then the last one is creativity. So you have productivity or person time, hedonism and creativity. I have a really good friend who's like, but I'm not creative. I'm not a creative person. Creativity is not just, I'm going to do some art. That's amazing. And congratulations, if that's your skill. Can it be a junky hedonistic thing or does it need to be like not BuzzFeed? All right, let me pause on this for a second. So we just got a question when we're talking about hedonism. Can that thing we do be a junky hedonistic thing or does it need to be like not BuzzFeed? I'm going to tell you a story. I lived with my coach about two or three years ago, which was a wild experience. Made me way stronger as a coach in my own right. And I learned so much from watching her. One of the most amazing things to me was this bitch works hard. She works hard and she works smart and she's a good person. And when I would come home, there would be like people magazines around. And for a second, I was like, whoa, I did not expect you to read people magazine all the time. And I was like, hey, what's going on? Like no judgment, but like, I just didn't expect that. And her answer was so perfect, and I I think about it all the time. I use it as an example is I'm good at what I'm good at, and then when I want to relax, I am going in on the relaxation. And she does. She was the perfect example. It made me better to have guilt-free enjoyment in the things that you want to do. One caveat I will add, it's not 13 hours of BuzzFeed, right? That's why we do the chunks of time. And when we make it smaller, it's something that you can look forward to. Might do a little BuzzFeed hit tonight. Okay, so coming back to the creativity, it doesn't have to just be art. It can be dancing, movement, yoga. If you want to work out, that's great too. I just want to add a note with working out because I've been seeing this come up as a new anxiety. With people is feeling like, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight or I'm, I need to push myself to work out or what if I, I look different at the end of this? If those thoughts come up, I'm trying to say this nicely, but like punch them out of your mind. They do not deserve space in your brain. Okay. If you're finding yourself anxious about working out or struggling to work out at home and it's weight driven, my biggest suggestion is to take a step back and to soothe that anxiety You can come back to some of these steps. And I would really consider engaging in some self-inquiry. Michelle has a great link for you guys. Great. So I don't have to touch on that. Okay, any other questions about like this this chunk of things that we've talked about anxiety management and boundaries with anxiety?
2: Teresa just asked, what if you have a partner, roommate, family member who's judgmental of your hedonistic thing? Like, my boyfriend hates that I'm on Reddit and TikTok.
0: Yeah. Oh, I get it. The most blunt answer is that it's none of their business. Let's say someone like doesn't like you or they talk shit about you, it's none of your business none of your business what someone thinks about you and I know that that's sort of a like trite response but sometimes we need to look at things just as they are is this is something I want to do if it's non-toxic if I feel good about it there's no addictive patterning here do it that that comes it leads into a bigger conversation around ownership and ownership plugs directly into anxiety the more that we can own the full spectrum of who we are, the less anxiety we're going to have because we know who we are. We're going to show up as that person, right? A micro example of that was five or six years ago when I was getting into like, yay, Clairaudience audience and spirituality and crystals and all of that stuff. And I fully, fully hid that because I was afraid of getting judged. Well, it gave me more anxiety when I was in conversation with friends because I wasn't able to talk about what I wanted to talk about or felt like they were going to judge me. And it piled on in a way that did nothing for me. And so the more that I taught myself to own. Yeah, this is a part of me just as being obsessed with the Kardashians. Not proud of it, but whatever. That's a part of me too, right? You can own both things. You can be multifaceted. That's okay. But that comes from you, right? If we're relying on, oh, are they going to judge me? Are they going to make me feel weird about it? not your business, you allow them to make you feel weird about it, or you allow them to make you feel bad about it. By the way, that's something everyone's still mastering. I think that's like one of the bigger life working practices. So the only other boundary thing that I wanted to touch on, um, I'm sure you guys have seen this other places, don't need to spend too much time on it, boundaries with the media. I do not suggest being that person who's like, I don't check the news. I think that that can be quite privileged in a lot of ways. And I think that especially now, it's very dangerous. I am not saying do not check the news, but I am saying find the boundaries within yourself that will work for you. Okay. Remember how I said that I had that uh, two or three day freak out and then the big couple hour cry? Well, guess what I was doing? Before I watched the movie that opened the the floodgates for me to cry, I spent five hours on Twitter. So of course, Amanda, what do you expect is going to happen? I read the same article written by different people over and over and over again. Okay, so when we we go back to anxiety management 101, catching your triggers, catching yourself in the spin cycle, if you are someone who reads Washington Post 80 times a day, awesome. That's something you can scale back on. Uh, another suggestion I have is choosing which news sites you trust the most. I still say there's a little bit of leeway there, you know, if you want to fact check. And then creating pockets of time. For me, my rule is, and I'm not perfect at this, this morning I did not do well at this, is to not check your phone, right? That, that's anxiety management 101 regardless of coronavirus. But can you even create an extra 10 minutes of buffer when you wake up? Maybe brush your teeth and then check your phone. Maybe take a shower, brush your teeth, get food, and then brush. I uh, wash your, check your phone. <laughs> also, wash your phone though. Separate. So just think about that. And if you live with someone, and the news is constantly blasting, I'm thinking of a couple people in here that I know. Is figure out what you can do, what's in your control to create some boundaries. Is it talking to your family or your roommate? Is it uh, I don't know, buying some earplugs. What I will say. Cause I think the other piece of, of cohabitating, creating boundaries is sometimes it feels like our choice has been taken away. I can't help it. The news is everywhere or I can't help it. They're always blasting the TV and I hear it or my friends are always talking about it. Don't devalue yourself enough that you pretend that you don't have choice. My clients know this example is you ever been driving and there's a, uh, if you're driving and there's a bumblebee in your car or a fly, so you crack your window but this damn fly keeps flying into the same part of your window, and you're like, dude, you're exhausting yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. You're doing the same thing over and over again. If only you took a step back, looked at your options, and realized that there was a little sliver you could fly out from, you would have saved yourself all that trouble. Same, same here. Even when it feels really hard, we're doing the same thing, we're getting the same results, but we're like, God, there's no choice. There's no choice. I guarantee there is. There is something you can do to create a boundary or to shift. It just might require you pull back and expand the vision. What am I not seeing? That's an excellent question. Whenever I feel stumped about, like, something I need to do or feel into or whatever, our mind goes to, what do I need to do next? How do I need to feel next? Flip that question. What am I not seeing? What am I not addressing within myself? What boundaries am I not adhering to? It's like a loving self call out. Ooh, that's a great one, Amber. If you guys aren't following along in the chat, Amber said, I asked my partner to limit chat about coronavirus and work fears today because it was becoming too much to manage while navigating working from home. That's exactly it. It's communication with others and constant check-ins with self. Loving check-ins. If something triggering comes up in conversation and you're not in a place to talk about it, say, let's talk about something joyful instead. So you know what? Let's talk about joy since Nia's made that that transition. (laughs) So here's the thing. It's gonna feel like joy or a joy capacity has been um, somewhat robbed, or it might feel like that right now because our environment has changed. That's all perception. That's all perception. Joy is generated from within. It absolutely can be amplified by other people and things, but joy comes from within. And that's the difference, by the way, between happiness and joy. Both are incredible, but happiness is often derived via events, others, or things. Joy is a state. It's a state that you are in or can arrive at or can return to. There was a brief period of time I studied under a positive psychologist, and there's a lot of interesting information around the energetics of joy, the frequency of joy. That that could be a whole separate conversation, but what I will say is this. To live a life without prioritizing joy is exhausting and has strong diminishing returns. And I'm just talking about like in the old version of real life. Leads to burnout. If we're not having fun, everything feels like it sucks. So if that was true six months ago, that is absolutely true, if not more so right now. So I want you to think about this is where do I – derive joy from within. Another way of thinking about that is, how can I cultivate joy? And if that still feels a little bit hard to connect with, whether it's in a meditation or just a quiet reflection, I want you to think about the last time that you felt joyful, like truly joyful. And then in the same way that we now know how to monitor for the physical symptoms of anxiety in our body, we can also monitor for joy. That's one of the coolest things about being a human. We can choose not just our thoughts and our emotions, but the feelings we generate in our body. I mean, that's what nostalgia is, right? They said, hey, Lisa, think about the best day of your life. You'd probably start to smile as you talk to me. They said, Miriam, tell me about the worst thing that's ever happened to you. You'd be like, oh, uh, well. And then could probably start to feel sad or angry or pissed off. So that's passive emotion choice through nostalgia. But we can actively start to choose joy, too. We can call it past tripping, right? Think about when you felt joyful before. Can you pull that physical sensation, that energetic sensation back into the body? It's absolutely possible. You do it all the time with nostalgia. And I got to tell you, coronavirus aside, excellent skill. Excellent skill. Last little chunk that I wanted to talk to you guys about is... How anxiety plugs into the concept or the awareness, really, that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I talked really briefly about how anxiety, fear, sadness, all of those heavier frequency emotions are necessary because it creates a contrast, meaning it tells us something. Right? If you go to work anxious every day and you hate it and you feel like shit when you get home... I'm super grateful for you because your anxiety is sending you one of the clearest messages in the world. And there's action to be taken from that, right? If we feel anxiety when we're in a relationship, oh, something is off. Is it me that needs to shift or does the dynamic between my partner and I have to shift? That anxiety is sending you a message. That's why it's beautiful. It's always communicating to us. So what I love about that awareness is that when you plug it into... The pandemic that we're all a part of right now, it starts to bring up, I think, a couple of different layers of messaging. One, the global experience. What is this telling us globally right now? Michelle kind of mentioned this already, is the planet looks like it's restoring a little bit, right? Globally, people are starting to take time for themselves again. By the way, I, I'm very conscious that I'm acknowledging this applies to healthy people right now. There's some really interesting global messages that are coming forward. I want you to reflect on the messages specific to you that are coming forward. Because I don't think that things happen just for the hell of it. And I think that if we choose to look at this as an opportunity to expand mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and take care of ourselves in that expansion process, not only will we, will we be individually better on the other side of this, we will be so much more equipped to help each other. It's the oxygen mask rule, right? So, but what is your anxiety asking you to do? What is this experience asking you to do? I often find a big question like that, it can trigger our analytical mind into like go mode, where it's like, okay, well, it's teaching me that I need to relax. So in my relaxation, I'm going to read these books, I'm going to do this thing. Or it's, oh, this is my chance to leave my job. I'm going to start to do my whole plan. And it pulls us immediately out of that reflective state. And maybe that's a little projection because I'm a, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm quite a doer. So if this answer or multiple answers isn't coming up clearly for you, my biggest suggestion is to sit in meditation. You can even just simply ask the question, why? Why? You don't need to complicate it with extra words or anything too floral. Why? One of my other favorite questions to ask, especially when I'm feeling triggered when I'm in meditation is, what's my next step? What's my next step? It's really easy for us to think into a next step. And that it might be right. Our, our logical mind is, I'm going to assume everyone in here makes excellent choices. So we can say our logical mind we can trust and rely on, right? But it also edges out intuitive hits. It edges out the ability to be with ourselves. So just asking, what is the one next step? And then allowing space for that answer to come from within. That's magic. Plus, you get the benefits of taking a couple minutes to chill out and breathe. Checking the chat, disconnect my Identity from my job. Yeah. So Julianne, I want to pause on that for a second. That's, that's one of the bigger anxiety points that I see with inbound clients is I'm in a job that I hate and I'm good at it, but I don't like it. And I know what I want to do. And that feels really scary. Uh, I see a couple heads nodding and I'm thinking of some very specific stories in this room. If that particular voice is coming up very loudly for you, that there is some identity work to be done with your job, amazing. Hold space for that and do not push yourself, okay? Do not push yourself. Acknowledgement is similar with just anxiety management. Just acknowledging what that call is, that's step one. We have time and we have space right now to flow into what's to come. So perhaps then you ask, what is the next step? How do I do that? What would make me feel good in starting to disconnect? What what actions can I take? So we start to approach, you know, and I'm talking very specifically about disconnecting the job identity, start to approach that with a more fluid tone. It doesn't have to be, great, I hate my job. I'm going to quit. Here are the next steps. Let's take cues from the environment. If everything else around us is slowing down, then our approach to things can slow down. It can be more fluid. It can be more internal. Rebecca Campbell is an excellent author. I reference her all the time. She was the first person in her book, Rise Sister Rise, to at least alert me to the truth in a new way of how we really just, we mirror the environment. Right? We have four seasons, summer, fall, winter, and spring. We have four emotional seasons. Summer when we're feeling vibrant and everything is working and fluid and it's amazing. We have so much vitality. Fall, when things are starting to slow down, but we're still feeling good and everything is happy. But we know that something's about to happen and we're turning a corner. Winter, we go internal. It is slow. Maybe we even stop. Spring, a little bit of new life, a little bit of seed planting. Now, do our internal seasons have to match the external? Hell no. I've been in some of the darkest winters when it's been 90 degrees outside. But it's important to tune into your seasons and then start to feel into, what are the global seasons? And I'm not talking actually about the weather. What is the global energetic season? To me, it feels like a winter. And by the way, winters are necessary. Plants need time to germinate. Bears got to hibernate. I'm sure there's other science stuff that I don't know that winter is really important for. We can't rush through seasons. Imagine if we skipped over winter probably wouldn't get half the crops that we need. I'm sure other things would happen that I don't understand again. So can you be okay with the season? Can you work with that? And again, plugging this back into the uh, context of disconnecting from my job, that's one of the hits that came up. Go slow. Let that just sit for a second and then start to work through it as it feels natural. One last note that I wanted to share with you guys. So mantra work. I, I don't know, eight years ago, probably. If you told me Amanda to go say a mantra, I would have been like, <laughs> no, uh, words don't do anything, but I have changed my tune. And I always, as I mentioned, I like the scientific and the spiritual combination. What I love about mantras is that uh, if you really wanted to, you could strip away any woo from a mantra and just look at it as neural reprogramming. Okay, because that's all it is. Neurons that fire together, wire together. The things we think over and over again become uh, deep-rooted stories or narratives that we attach to. Things don't work out for me, right? Everything sucks. Things don't work out for me. You say that over and over and over again, you're going to freaking believe it, right? Your mind is going to default to that. So when we're using the practice of neural reprogramming, we want to choose different thoughts or different statements or different mantras, that can bring us out of that deeper-rooted patterning, okay, so that our mind can start to default to something different. So we're we're, uh, wiring and firing a new neural pathway. That's the science stuff. On the frequency side, why do we use mantras? Because the words that we use have a resonance, okay? Uh, If you want to go look up Dr. Emoto and his studies, 70s or 80s on... The effect that um, the quality or the vibration of the words that we use have an effect on the chemical makeup of specific cells. You can go look that up. Words carry a tone. Why why when we were kids did your mom say, maybe this was just my mom, but go sing to your plants. Right? I used to sing to my plants all the time. The ones I don't sing to also could be overwatering, but they die. So we're thinking about mantras and vibrational frequency. We want to choose words, sentences, or statements that make us feel good, that are truth-based, that when we say them to ourselves, have a positive resonance in the body, and pull us away from the negative thought patterns. Now, the question I get a lot is like, how do I make a mantra? Or what, do I know if it's right? My suggestion for mantra creation is really simple. What do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? What do you want to think? What do you know is true that you're having trouble believing? Because that's usually what needs to be reinforced. A truth that you feel like you can't connect to. Separate from coronavirus, one of the biggest truth disconnects I see is, the, is one's ability to recognize that they're worthy of love. Right? So it's like, I'm not lovable. I'm not lovable. No one will love me. Great. So the statement for you I am lovable is probably gonna be really fucking uncomfortable. That's your mantra. That's your mantra, and you come back to that over and over and over again. In the same way that that we're talking about how you can bring the sensations of joy into the body, you bring the sensations of love into the body. But putting this in the context of the coronavirus, I can't stress enough that you want to not just remind yourself and your body that you are healthy, but actually be very grateful for it. Gratitude is rocket fuel for our emotional state The more we can be grateful for the better we are going to feel, the better choices we are going to make, the better we are going to be able to take care of ourselves. So when we're talking about a mantra specific to the pandemic that we're experiencing, I am so happy and grateful that I am healthy. I am so happy and grateful that I have a body that I can take care of. You know, you can make a million different versions of that. And I want to be really clear that we come back to this to take care of ourselves, but this does not minimize the truth that there are people who are not feeling okay right now. People who have lost their jobs, people who are struggling with their health, the elderly, people who are alone. I just want to be very conscious of the separation between the two. That if you are healthy, I cannot encourage you enough to be grateful for that and to continue to take care of yourself. And you use that surplus of positive energy to figure out how you can help. Okay. That is why we do mantra work. It's to build up our energetic frequency. So we feel good. We feel solid. And then with that surplus, it's like the cup run over. You can't pour from an empty cup. Once we have that surplus, that's what you can channel into other people, places, things. So I think we're all kind of struggling with like, how the hell do we help? What do we do? You got to take care of yourself first.
2: That is such a good point, Amanda. And may I add on to the mantra? Please. So, I don't know if anyone out there is a fucking skeptical asshole like I am, but <laughs> I find mantra work to be really, really difficult. And I like mm-hmm. it, makes me want to poke my own eyes out. My story around it is like, this is so stupid. But something that's really similar that helped me, and it may be helpful for you if you are. <laughs> an asshole like me, um, is the book Atomic Habits. In the book, the author has this uh, amazing, like, sort of script for you where instead of creating habits, so instead of becoming a person like, an entrep- like a successful entrepreneur and saying, my goal is to be a successful entrepreneur or my goal is to be a millionaire or my goal is to be someone who doesn't have anxiety and creating goals to get to that point or, or whatever, gates to walk through. Uh, He says, instead, you should just almost like act as if Mm -hmm. and say in every situation, well, he uses the example of what would a healthy person do uh, if you're trying to lose 20 pounds to get healthy. So when when you open the menu at a restaurant, what would a healthy person order? Makes it so much easier than saying like, oh, I'm on a diet. I can only order these things. So when you put yourself in the mindset of like, I'm a healthy person. Well, obviously, a healthy person would probably get something green, but, like, they might also get half a burger or whatever. And I notice that when I apply that to myself, I'm a healthy partner in a healthy relationship. What would a healthy partner do or say in this mm. in this situation? That makes it so much easier for me to be like, maybe calm down about the Instagram comment <laughs> from the ex-girlfriend. Like, we're good, you know? Um, or when it comes to my job, what would – like a conscious, thoughtful, successful entrepreneur, say, or do in this situation. And that isn't always what you'd think. It's not always like, oh, go make that money. Sometimes it's like, you know what? I need to do, I just need to support my community right now. And this is how I can do it. So I found that to be really helpful. And it it reminds me of mantra work, but it's a little bit more um, pragmatic if that's how your brain works. So I just wanted to share that if that's helpful.
0: That's brilliant. I act as if, just to add on to that, that was probably one of the more powerful lived practices when I was first introducing myself to this whole world and work is I remember really vividly, this is a traumatic memory because of what led up to it. I had one of my like early stage breakdowns before uh, it was in that place where I realized I needed to quit my job and become a coach and had no fucking clue how to do it. So I was like fully in breakdown mode. And I remember sitting across from the kitchen table from my own mentor and she was like, okay, who do you want to be? And I told her and she was like, great, start. And I was just like, Oh, oh, what? Like I can do that. And the truth is it really is that easy because you're just dealing with yourself. That's it. You give yourself permission to start showing up as whatever version of you, you want to show up as.
2: And because you're just making the next best decision. You don't have to make a hundred decisions in the future. You're just taking the next best step. So every step is new and that's amazing and great. And like, we can't freak out about the miles we have to go because we just have to worry about this one right now. Yeah.
0: My friend, uh, my friend Caitlin, uh, she's pretty open with her struggles with clinical depression. And we're talking about the idea of, you know, you take it one day at a time. And she was like, one day at a time does not work. doesn't work for me when I'm in that state. It's one minute at a time. It's one decision at a time. And the way that she said that always stuck with me because I think that it creates a funnel of anxiety when we start to look at how much we want to do or shift or change. And it stops us before we start. So one next step. What's the one thing, the one choice, the one decision? And the knowing somewhere off in the distance is a feeling that you want to land in maybe, or flow in and out of. We know where we're going, but there's so much grace in that process. So I think that was that's gonna be it on my end. I wanted to at least touch on a couple of different high-level tools and ideas and thoughts. Um, what I will say before turning it back over to Michelle is, uh, I really recognize that these are just weird times and for those of you who are on and anyone who's going to watch this in the recording, I'll be sending out an email probably in the next two or three days that's going to give you guys a code to one of my online workshops for free. So it's called Let That Shit Go. Originally, I created it as a way to release negative attachments to relationships, whether it's romantic, career, interpersonal relationships, to
2: self self patterns sweet thanks amanda you can find amanda at anxiety to empowerment on instagram that's her name in our house amanda anxiety to empowerment my (laughs) partner has never met her except virtually (laughs) um the love extremist your boyfriend the love extremist yeah my excuse me i need to call my fiance um anyways uh so thank you amanda and thank you everyone so much for showing up it's it's actually i think hard to like show your face and be like anxiety and fear and i'm going through those things so thank you for being here and for being here for everyone else and holding space being so um gracious with each other it's really amazing and we're also doing these workshops for free so all of the practitioners and healers and coaches and therapists who are hosting them volunteer their time and i want to be thoughtful and i'm going to say this in every single workshop so if you've already tuned in you've heard this before but want to be thoughtful of the fact that this is normally how they make their income and they're volunteering to do it um, for us because we all could use it. So I believe in energetic exchange and I believe that what goes around comes around. And I also think that we really take things into our heart and metabolize them when there is an energetic exchange, when it feels more even. So there's many ways you can do an energetic exchange with Amanda. You can follow her and share her work and maybe even book sessions with her or work with her in the future. You also can find her on Venmo. Amanda, will you drop your Venmo or your PayPal into the chat so people can find you?
0: Yes. So I don't know my username, but if you look for my name, it would just be a picture of me.
2: Okay. And your name is Amanda Huggins. Huggins. Full name Amanda Huggins. Yeah. And an energetic exchange is another, you know, it's another word for a ticket, right? So you could do a financial energetic exchange of what you felt like this was valuable to you. Normally our workshops are $10 virtually, or you can think of energetic exchange and whatever the resource that you have. So whether that's amplifying this message or sharing this with a friend or going and doing a good deed for someone else out there in the world right now, that is sufficient for me. But I want to throw that out there because I know in times when it feels like there's a lot of chaos, a really easy way to feel empowered is to give back. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling that chaos and you're feeling disempowered, you can get your power back. But yeah, get your groove back, get your power back. Um, Okay. We have, a million new workshops coming out in the next couple of weeks. So sign up for them. I'm personally teaching every Thursday on intuitive entrepreneurship. So if that is something that you're struggling with right now, we're interested in right now, I can help you. So grateful that you're here and that you're here physically and energetically and spiritually. Now go do some good in the world and take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you soon and we'll see you on the internet.
1: Thanks again for tuning in, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world for exciting updates and even more fantastic content. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, shoot us a text at 1-415-888-4742 or shoot us an audio, which we love, at that same number on WhatsApp. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and remember, I'm always here learning a ton myself right along with you.